You're listening to the Belmar Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about Belmar or to see our upcoming events, visit belmarchurch.com. If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn to the book of Romans. Uh, I'd also encourage you, if you have a smartphone or a tablet, you can text uh, our text line and get a copy of the notes, 303-529-2188. We started a new series last week, and we're going through the book of Romans. Now, if you've read the New Testament, you know that Romans is a pretty big book. It's pretty significant, and so it's going to take us the better part of the year to go through the book. Now, we're going to take some breaks along the way because I get bored, uh, and we'll talk about some other things and uh, in the summer and some different times we'll take some breaks, but we'll end up going back and going through the book of Romans. And so I want to encourage you with a couple of things as we do this. Number one, I would encourage you to try to uh, listen to all of the messages. If you're here today and you weren't here last week, you can go online and you can check that out. Uh, If you're watching online, uh, then you know you can watch online and you can also uh, join us in person, but you can also go back and look at those messages. They, you, they don't necessarily, everyone build on each other, but I think it'll help you to understand a little bit more what the apostle is saying. And then also, I would encourage you to download the notes. Uh, you can get those online. You can also, as I mentioned, text that number 303-529-2188. Uh, and, and just text the word notes, and you'll get a copy on your phone. Uh, so Romans, we looked last week at the introduction that Paul, this apostle who has traveled all around, starting all kinds of churches, he's 20 years into his ministry as a missionary and a church planter. He writes to a church in the most significant city in the world, Rome, the capital of of the Roman Empire, the strongest political and military uh, empire in the world at that time. But he's never, Paul's never been to Rome, and he's never been to the church that meets at Rome. Now, he knows people there that we'll see towards the end of the book, but he writes this letter, and so he writes it by way of introducing himself He also writes it as a way uh, to sort of try to be a blessing and establish what it is that that he believes and and their common faith. And he says in Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So these two verses, verses 16 and 17 of Romans chapter 1, are really the theme that we're going to kind of have throughout the study of this book. And specifically, the just shall live by faith. The sort of the uh, encapsulation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But here's the interesting thing, that the the direction that this letter takes. Paul writes this, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, Uh, the just shall live by faith. And then he says this in verse 18, 
For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Paul is saying, listen, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The just shall live by faith. And then he says, the wrath of God is revealed. It, does, it seems like it's sort of an abrupt stop. But what Paul is going to unpack over the next three chapters is really one of the most comprehensive looks at our relationship with God and our need for salvation in our life. And so Paul is going to begin with where we are at, our state, as, as, human, as humans, as mankind, men and women, and he says, he begins by saying this, the wrath of God is revealed. And he says that, that it's, it's revealed in creation. It's made known. It's made known in us, in our conscience. Now, I was thinking about that, and we all have different ideas of justice and fairness. I, I think we see that in an interesting way. In a, in a court case that's unfolded right here in our in our county, uh, I live very close to the corner uh, of I seventy and Denver West Boulevard. And of course, a couple of years ago, uh, a tractor trailer came down and caused a horrible accident. Uh, folks died. Folks were injured. It, it was it was it was horrible. From my house, you could see just the black smoke rising up. And so the truck driver, of course, has been on trial. He's found guilty. And under uh, certain sentencing statutes, there was conjecture and talk about what kind of sentence he would get. And then there became this whole other discourse about that was too extreme of a sentence. And so then there was, there was petitions and, and online stuff to the point that the governor stepped in. Now, I don't want to make a comment on that for a couple of reasons. One, I didn't watch the trial, and I'm not a judge, a juror, a lawyer. It's not my job to determine what this guy's punishment should be. I have some opinions about it, and you really don't want to care. You don't care. But here's the interesting thing. We all agree that what happened was horrible. We have different views about what the punishment should be or who's responsible. There are some things within us, though, that help us to understand right and wrong. Now, it's always skewed. If you don't believe me, hang out with some four-year-olds. 
oh, four-year-olds aren't any different than you and me. It's just a little easier to see. See, I've got this toy, and Billy came and wanted this toy, but I had it first. That's not fair. Right? Well, yeah, but you weren't playing with that toy. You had all of the toys. Shouldn't you share? And Billy's going, hey, man, I just wanted a toy to play with. It's not fair that he has all the toys. And then they beat each other over the head with the toys, and nobody wins. But what do four-year-olds say? It's not fair. Because we have an innate sense of what we think is and isn't fair. What is and isn't just. It reminds me of the story in John chapter 8. When the leaders, the Jewish leaders, really wanting to see how Jesus would react, they bring to him a woman. And they say, this woman was caught in adultery. And then they say this, she was caught in the very act. Interesting that they don't bring the man. They only bring the woman. But they bring him, they bring her to Jesus. And Jesus never responds to what the people, directly to what the guys are saying, he bends over and he begins to write in the ground. And I've heard preachers speculate about what it is that he wrote. I don't know, but it says this. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up, Jesus, and said to him, said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by what? Their conscience. Being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, being with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Now it's interesting because a lot of parts of this passage can get can get skewed. Some people will say, well, he who's without sin cast the first stone. So we should never be accusatory of anybody else's sin. But we are to be discerning in this world. Also, Jesus said, where are your accusers? And the woman said, they're all gone. And Jesus said, I don't accuse you. But that doesn't mean, as Romans 1 18 is showing us that there is not consequences for our sin. The wrath of God is revealed to us. I use this passage to help illustrate that we all have a conscience. And here's the thing. Our conscience can be seared. Our conscience can be twisted. And our conscience is always looking at it from our perspective. 
Have you ever had this happen? You ever done something or, or maybe somebody's done something to you and you were so incensed and it, the injustice of it all and then later you were in the same position and you did the same thing? No, just me? Okay. That's fine. I, I know I'm a jerk. I don't, maybe you're not. But here's the thing. Here's what Romans says. It says we are without excuse. Because if you really think about it, you know you're not holy. If you really think about your life, the things you do, the thoughts you have, the things you say, even those you mutter under your breath, you know you're not holy. You're not perfect. You're not righteous. Because the wrath of God reveals itself to us. And we don't have an excuse. Revelation chapter 20, and we're going to move quickly, but I want to bring this out. It says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away. There was found no place for them. I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. Now notice what verse 12 says there. Books were opened, and another book, something different, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the what? The books. The sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell or Hades delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And verse 15 says this, anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Here's the thing, in eternity, there will be a time where all of us will be judged. And we'll be judged according to the things that we've done. In heaven, there is a a record of that. And it's illustrated here in Revelation by books. Now, that's a bunch of books. Now, maybe heaven has gone high tech and now it's on a hard drive somewhere. But (laughs) there's an accounting, right? You with me? And the standard is the holiness and the righteousness of God. And the question is, do you measure up to that standard? And the answer is no. No. Not the best person that ever lived, not the worst person that ever lived. None of us measure up to the holiness and the righteousness of God. And whether we spend eternity in judgment in hell, or whether we spend eternity in heaven with God Almighty is not determined primarily by the things that we do because all of us are destined for judgment. It's what's written in the book of life. And the book of life is not an accounting of the things we've done It's an accounting of what Jesus Christ did for us. And if we receive that gift, he places our name there. 
Not because we're good. Because we're not good. He places our name there because of his grace to us. And so Paul, in writing to the church at Rome, first says, listen, God's wrath is revealed to all of us. He'll, he talks in this passage and he talks throughout the book about the Jew and the Greek. Because there were, there were different ethnic groups in the church at Rome. And they, and they were distinct and they were specific. But it didn't matter. Because the wrath of God was revealed to all of them. The difference was not their ethnicity. The difference was not how good they were. The difference was had they received the grace of God. And then he goes on and he talks about the progression of sin, beginning in Romans chapter 1 and verse 21. He says, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. There's a lot there. Here's the thing. We go through the book of Romans, there's a lot of passages that are tough to preach. And they might even be tough to hear. I prayed for several months last year about whether or not to preach through this book. And the truth is, I didn't really want to. Just be honest. I preached a lot out of Romans, but not through the whole book. Because there's some hard passages and there's some things that we're going to deal with theological controversies. We're going to deal with social issues like we are today. I mean, it comes at us pretty much the second message of this series. We're dealing with the issue of homosexuality. This passage isn't, well, let me finish that thought. My job is to preach the whole counsel of the Word of God, whether I like it or not. And so we're preaching through the book of Romans. And really, as a follower of Jesus Christ, let me just say with all love, your job is to learn and grow in the whole counsel of God 
whether you really enjoy it or not. That's part of the process of becoming more like Christ. That process isn't always comfortable for us. You say, well, that's not very encouraging, preacher. Well, listen, I'm just being honest. I mean, wouldn't it be great if I could just take a pill, eat pizza, and get six-packed abs? It doesn't work that way, clearly. If I want, if I want that, you know what I got to do? Eat skinless chicken and do more sit-ups, which isn't very comfortable. All right, moving on. Says this. Although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. This passage of Scripture in the notes I put suppressing of truth and consequences. What Paul describes here is what sin does in our life and how we justify it. Because we take what God has for us and we exchange it for something else. They knew God, but they didn't glorify God. The first thing that happens is we minimize God. You know, we, we pray to God, we think about God. I, I was watching something this, this past week, and someone said, you know, there, there was this woman on this video, and she said, I'm a Christian, but I'm also a Wiccan. And, and, and that was shocking to me. But think about what we do. We're like, well, I'm a Christian, but I also like this over here. Well, I'm a Christian, but, you know, I'm not too extreme with that. We minimize God. We start to think of God as being less than who he is. The almighty creator of this universe. The one who by his very words spoke this universe into existence. That is the God we serve and worship. And so when he says something, it's important that we listen to it, whether we understand it all the time or not. But the first thing we begin to do is minimize God. Well, did God really mean? I mean, what was God really getting at there? And then in that process, we become foolish. It says they did not glorify him as God nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became what? Fools. Because we begin to try to understand and outthink God. God has revealed himself in his word. He wants us to know him, but we begin to apply our logic and our judgment to God. And I think it's, it, in some ways it's a natural consequence of the world in which we live. And I've talked about this before. 
everything you watch, hear, or read in this world, you need to be critical of. I mean, think about it. You turn on this news network, it says one thing. You turn on this news network, it says something else. Every time you watch something, don't you wonder, well, what's that person's agenda? Every time you read something, you know, when I read something, I'll look at who wrote it, and then I'll think, well, who is that person, and what's their agenda? What are they trying to get at? That's only natural to do in our world. But there is an exception to that, and that's God's Word. It's not us who are to be critical of God and His Word. It is God and His Word that are to be critical of us. We do not judge God and His Word. God and His Word judge us. But we minimize God. Not only that, when we don't give God His place, we don't understand our place. And then we begin to suppress the truth in the creation. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. And he uses the illustration of homosexuality. And let me just talk about that for a moment. It's clear from Scripture that God has set standards related to sexual conduct. And whether we like those or completely understand those, they're clear in Scripture. God created men and women, and part of that in our creation is that one aspect is we are sexual in our, in our beings. And God created us that way, and God created men and women to enjoy sex in the confines of marriage. And and. From that, there's procreation that takes place. But sex outside of marriage, in other words, before you're married or with someone you're not married to, is prohibited in Scripture, as is sex with someone of the same sex. Now, we minimize God's standards, and we like to elevate our own thoughts on those things. One of the things about the church at Rome was they had this strong Jewish community and a strong non-Jewish community. Well, Rome, the Roman Empire as a whole, but specifically the city of Rome, was known for rampant homosexuality. And that was, that was a very common thing. Within the Jewish culture, homosexuality was strongly prohibited and not spoken of, not promoted in any sort of way. Paul uses this illustration. The whole passage is not about homosexuality. The whole passage is about sin and our justifying it in our own minds and how we don't think we deserve God's wrath. He uses this as an illustration because he says, look, here's what is natural. Here's how God has created us. And here's how we pervert it. But we don't just pervert it with homosexuality. 
We pervert it with sex outside of marriage. We pervert sex with pornography, with all kinds of ways. And so it's not that God just picks on this sin. It's that he uses it as an illustration about how we suppress the truth of creation. And as I thought about that, I thought about the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3. You remember the story, right? The serpent came to the woman. And, and she said, and the serpent said to the woman, he said, well, what has God said? Well, God, God gave us the rules. We can't eat from these two trees. And she said, and we're not even supposed to touch them, which is not what God said. But the serpent said, well, if you eat those, you will be like God. You will know good from evil. Now that was a perversion of the truth. She ate, right, verse 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. The Bible goes on to say, and their eyes were opened. They knew the difference between good and evil, but they were not like God. Matter of fact, their relationship with God was severed at that point. Because the natural use of what God had set up had been perverted by man. And creation had taken the place of the creator. And then the truth was suppressed with sin. Notice what verse 28 of Romans 1 says. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, and he goes on and names all of these things. They didn't want to retain God in their mind. Notice how it happens. They first reduce God. They didn't give him the glory that he was, that he was due. And they exchanged the creation for the creator. They worshiped the creation not the creator. That is rampant today. We, I mean, we think we're the peak of existence. And if it's not us as humans, it's the world around us. We think that connects us to God. Listen, we have the opportunity to connect to God. What we see, have you ever thought about this when you go up in the mountains and you see the beauty of God? Have you ever thought that's a week's work? of work for God. That's the God we serve. But we worship the creation, not the creator. And then we twist what God made, the natural use, and we begin to apply our logic and our ideas to it until eventually we don't retain God in our knowledge 
and wickedness runs rampant in our hearts and in our lives. And the New Living Translation puts this passage this way. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and what? Gossip. Now think about the sins that have been listed in this passage. We talked about sexual sin. And then we've got all kinds of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, murder, gossip? Doesn't that seem less? Doesn't it? I think it does. So some of you are like, I don't, I don't know what to say. I do not want to say the wrong answer here. Listen, as I'm reading this, the New King James that we read earlier, you know what it said? It said, they're whispers. The first time I read that, I thought, man, I am a righteous guy because I have one of the loudest voices all the time. Jason, it happens in our office. It happens at home. All the time, my wife, my wife will just look at me and she'll go, Because I'm not mad. I just get excited. When I get excited, my voice gets loud. And I'll be like, and then I'm driving. And she's like, okay. I can hear you. It was a couple weeks ago. I was interacting with a guy. And I just said, hey, man, here's what happened. And he goes, you don't have to yell at me. That's what he said. And I was, I felt, I felt horrible because I wasn't even like, it was a situation where I could have gotten mad, but I was not even mad. I was just, now I was wearing a mask, so I was probably projecting. I was like, no, man, I'm not yelling. Whispers. But what it means is gossip. I think as Paul wrote this, and we see it in some other passages as well, remember his point. The point of this passage is not the condemnation of certain sins. Now, this passage has been used to say, well, you know, homosexuality is wrong or this. I mean, the point is the wrath of God is revealed. To who? All of us. You say, yeah, but I've never killed anybody. I've never slept with anybody I shouldn't have slept with. I've never gossiped. He goes on. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, are heartless, 
and have no mercy. Listen, you read that, and again, you guys are probably super good people, but I read that, and I'm like, oh, I've done a few of those things this week. And this week started today. Because all of us, the wrath of God is due on all of us. And then Paul says this in verse 32. Who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve those who practice them. Just a couple of things as we close this morning. First of all, this. We know God's truth. Knowing the righteous judgments of God. Verse earlier in this passage, he said, we are without excuse. How many times do we know what is something is right to do, but we don't do it? Oh, we justify ourselves. We think we have a good excuse, but really we are without excuse. Not only that, we're guilty and we're condemned. That those who practice such things are deserving of death. Now, we don't think that's true. We think the things that we do aren't that bad. But that's because we've minimized God and his holiness. Because when we understand the righteousness of God, we understand how bad we are in comparison. It's why several times in Scripture, men get visions of God. The most descriptive is in Daniel, where Daniel gets a vision of God. He says he's high and lifted up. Angels fly around him. Smoke and thunder fill the temple. And the angels cry out and say, holy, Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And when confronted with the vision of Almighty God, you know what Daniel said about himself? Woe is me. Woe is me. That's Isaiah, isn't it? It blew that whole thing. Daniel had a vision of God too, but I just quoted Isaiah. But he said, woe is me. Again, illustrating my imperfection. Because when we understand who God is, we understand how sinful we are. And we are guilty. Jesus said this. John chapter 3 and verse 19. Jesus said, this is the condemnation. This is the condemnation. That the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. Everyone, Jesus said, this is the condemnation. But before that, Jesus said this in verse 18. He who believes in him is not condemned. Talking about himself. 
But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You want to avoid condemnation? The answer is not be better. Like, here we are, first part of January. This is New Year's resolution season, right? Like, if you're a regular workout, go-to-the-gym person, you just don't go the first couple weeks of January, right? I mean, that's what I heard. I'm not one of those guys. But even myself, I'm like, man, I'm going to lose some weight this year. I'm going to get in better shape. I'm going to... I don't know, keep my room clean, keep my car clean, whatever your resolution is. And some of you will do well with that. Many of you will not. That's not the answer to avoiding condemnation. The answer is not be better. The answer is Trust Jesus, he's holy and righteous. Because you can't be good enough. But there's no condemnation to, who, to them who believes on the Son of God. And finally this morning, not only are we guilty and condemned, but we must not approve sin in others. This is what he says to close out this chapter. He says, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. As Christians, this is a fine line, isn't it? The Bible talks about truth and love. And we don't want to compromise the truth. We don't want to look at sin in our lives or the lives of others and say, oh, that's okay. Because it's not okay. It goes against the holiness and righteousness of God. And yet we are not to be those who run around throwing stones. So just a couple of passages that I think can help us in this. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 11 says this, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of righteousness, but rather expose them. And then he says this, for it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. In our lives, we need to make no allowance for sin. Not that we won't sin, but we don't need to make allowance for it. We don't need to joke about it. We don't need to justify it. We don't need to try to say, well, maybe that's okay. Listen, God has clearly told us some things that are wrong and evil in our world, and we need to not make any account, allowance for that in our own lives. But then Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6 says this, Walk in wisdom to those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Listen, I, I want to come back and revisit just for a moment this issue of homosexuality. I recognize that we live in a world where if I say homosexuality is a sin, then people will say about me 
you hate homosexuals. That's not true. Because what I've told you today is all of you are sinners. I don't hate you. I love you. I'm a sinner. I don't hate myself. I don't want to be subject to the condemnation of God. And so calling something sin is not hateful. Now, we can be hateful as we do it. We can. I can look at you and point out your sins and do it with, with maliciousness and hatred in my heart, and that is not what God would have us to do. And so I do not have to be hateful in declaring the truth. And really, I think it starts with being mindful that I am under the wrath of God. I am deserving of eternal judgment in hell except for God's grace. And I want other people to experience that grace too. Listen, we live in a world that is in darkness. We live in a world where people are are searching for anything and we have the light. And I understand that, that, that people are, that when you talk about Jesus and Christianity, that, that people have walls and people have ideas. But listen, we've got the light. We've got the truth. And the truth is none of us deserve God's grace. That's why it's grace. But we can share it with others. And I think that if we're not careful, we'll swing to the direction of truth or love too far. We sing, swing to the direction of truth to the point that we, we become angry and hateful with other people. And that's not how God would have us to be. We can swing to the direction of love to the point that we make allowance for sin. And we say, well... You know, we're all sinners. It's okay. Listen, it's not okay. As we're going to see as we go through the book of Romans, sin is a serious thing. It condemns us to hell, and it costs Jesus Christ his life. That's how serious God takes sin. But grace is available to us. And so my encouragement to you is this. If you're a follower of Jesus, be reminded of the grace that we have in him. Seek to share that with others. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Savior, God loves you. A holy, almighty, and powerful God looked at you And thought, you can't be good enough. I'll send my son in your place. And he loves us. And he extends to us his grace. And Jesus said, there's no condemnation to those who believe in him. 
Listen, the wrath of God being revealed to all men doesn't sound like good news until we understand that, that God provided a way for us through Jesus Christ. And if you're here today, all you have to do is cry out to him. If you would, bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning. I just ask you, just take a moment with me. Nobody looking around. I just want you to think about your own situation. And maybe you're here this morning, you say, preacher, I've just been reminded about the, the severity. I've been reminded about what it costs Christ and, and that outside of his grace, I'm under, right, I'm under wrath and judgment. And this morning, maybe you just need to take sin more seriously in your own life. This morning, maybe you need to take the sharing of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of his grace, more seriously with those around you. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Savior. Maybe you've heard about God's grace before. Maybe you've resisted that. Maybe you haven't really understood it before. But today you say, you know, I understand that I am under the wrath of God. Can I tell you that's bad news, but God has given us good news. Because he sent his son to take our place, to take his wrath upon himself that we might have forgiveness and eternity with him. And today, right there where you're at, you can just pray in your heart, say, God, save me a sinner. God, forgive me and give me your grace. I trust in your son, Jesus. And today, if you pray that prayer for the very first time, I would love to talk to you after the service. That is the most significant event in your life. Man, I'd love to talk to you more about what it means to be a follower of God. How you can grow in Him. God, I just pray that you would bless us as we go from this place today. God, I pray that you would help us to proclaim your truth in love. To not be arrogant or to twist your creation, but God, to understand that outside of Jesus Christ, we are all condemned. But because of him and because of God's love to us, Lord, we have, we have life and life eternal. We have forgiveness. We have your love. God, help us to share that with others this week. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.